Hi, you're listening to Living Life on Purpose, and I'm your host, Matt Wilson. The goal of this show is for us to sit down with successful people who also live a life of purpose. We want you to hear their stories, understand that they've had to overcome adversity, how their faith has played a role, and ultimately we want you to be encouraged by the things that you hear so that you can walk through similar situations. We hope you enjoy. Today on the show, we have Marcus Young. Marcus is the founder of InFire. And he grew up in the Philippines, worked with the largest drug cartel in Southeast Asia, and pioneered the first child soldier rescue efforts in Myanmar in the 1990s. Today, he consults with churches and organizations about peacemaking at home and work and supports leaders around the world who help protect children in conflict areas, educate them, and raise them to be peacemakers. Marcus, it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you, Matt. It's great to be with you today. Yes. Uh, just always love hearing the incredible things that, that you and your organization are doing. Really have enjoyed just developing a friendship with you. And I have to thank Paul Van Hosen for, for connecting us and you know the, the great community of Heaven and Business. It's been awesome to just hear small little snippets of, of some of the stuff that you guys have been doing. Yeah. Been a, it's been a, an adventure. You know, I, I, I was... Uh... One of my my tasks today of I'm applying for a, a HELOC, and when they ask me, where, you know, who, who are you employed with, you know, and how long, I I go all the way back to January 15, 1994. I've been working doing this, so yeah, starting to build a history. Yeah, well, that in a very rich history, that yeah. that inheritance, uh, building the fire and stoking the fire for generations to come in these young people. And it's, um, you know, I had a conversation with, uh, at lunch with a, a friend and client today, and we were talking about different stuff. And, you know, obviously we talk about the economy and stuff going on in the market. And it's like, man, there, there are so many other people that, that have far greater issues than what we've got. And not saying our problems aren't real, but yeah. some of the stuff that, that you yeah. deal with on a regular basis and some of the situations that you walk into uh, far greater than than any problem that we're facing here in the United States of America. So uh, from that standpoint, InFire is an organization that goes in and, and helps in conflict areas. They help in rescuing and discipling uh, child soldiers, things of that nature. How did you, you know, get involved in this? And uh, what what did that look like getting started? Sure. So I, I will tell you the story, though there's there's kind of a multitude of stories in our lives that create the narrative and 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 inform that. But uh I'll also qualify that by saying, though we're pretty well known for our work with kids in armed conflict and child soldiers, uh our our work is quite a bit broader than than that specific niche. Uh we tend to be niche though in the things we do because we we do things that a lot of other people aren't aren't as interested in. But for for me, it was uh, my kind of my key story on that. It was it was kind of a, a Nehemiah. It was a Nehemiah moment for me, uh, where he heard the news from his his uh, brother. I think it was that the the walls and the gates of Jerusalem had been broken down, and he wept for three days, and and God just grabbed his attention, and he was a lot of a lot of risk when that happened because you're supposed to have a happy face in front of the king. I didn't have that part of the experience, but it was a dramatic moment. And what had happened for me is, is I, I, I sent a, f- a friend of mine up. He was, he was a, a local 
uh, indigenous guy, part of a, a, a tribe that had been headhunters for, for centuries and uh, part of this kind of drug cartel army space. He had, he had actually been, a, when he was a in his early 20s, he was a mercenary, had like 300 people working under him when they were running drugs before he radically met Jesus. He's got some great stories. I, I hope one day he'll write a book about it. Uh-huh. So I, I just, I, I gave him one of the little old camcorders and I said, Hey, go up to this area and just film some, some opportunities. It's very hard to get in and out of this space. And I said, find us the hardest, the darkest, the most miserable spot you can. That's where I want us to start. <laughs> so, and, and my kind of, theory my work theory has has been a lot of times is like you know if i can work in those places and god shows up and does something then i really know it wasn't marcus young who did it it was god that's right and and i've always kind of thought you know if, if i just went out and planted a church or did you know some of the kind of mainline christian stuff kind of think i can do that so I, that's never <laughs> inspired me too much i'm more inspired to say what can't i do <laughs> and let's see if we do that and therefore, I already know I'm a total loser on one level, but but I'm on the right team, so therefore <laughs> I'm a total winner, right? So it's like it's 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 like it's just in my own strength. It's it's pretty impossible. So I wasn't, you know, I was thinking more like we're going to plant a church or something like that in this really hard place. And he he came back with footage of these kids that were half dressed in fatigues or running around on this muddy track, and some were young, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe up to twelve years old. And I'm like, why are these kids all dressed up like soldiers? I started asking him questions when he's playing the, the film for me. I remember the moment I was, you know, I was standing kind of in my office, door half open, and he's just playing on this little screen and I'm looking at it. And he said, these are, these are orphan soldiers. I'm like, what's an orphan soldier? Well, it's like, because of all the war and conflict in our area, you know, I think at the time the statistic was about one in every four children were, were orphaned because of war. You know, I think of the Ukraine war, what's going on right now. Those those are serious numbers that impact generations of you know that grow up fatherless generations. And he he said these kids they get conscripted by the army and they don't have anywhere else to go. The army puts them in the military barracks and they raise them. And it just broke my heart when when he started telling me this story. And but what happened was the Holy Spirit spoke to me at that moment. It wasn't like this audible voice, but it was very clear and. He said, the enemy of your souls has been raising up an army under the nose of the church. Hmm. And, and then they don't see it. They don't know what's going on. But he said, I have desired them, these, these children, as my army of love. Hmm. And so it's when he said those words to me, spoke those so clear to my heart. Because it, it was like when he spoke those, I could just see. I could see these cycles of violence that happened in these kinds of regions where children would grow up in armed conflict. They would, if they survived, they would one day become adults. They'd have their own kids. And you've set this cycle of violence because they're angry, they're full of violence, and it just sets this culture in place that cycles. And so we have war upon war upon war that just happens. And and I I, I saw the pattern. I saw and I saw how the church was missing this, you know, not seeing this pattern. And that's where the the, the Holy Spirit just grabbed my imagination and and my heart. And I, I literally, I cried. It wasn't like constant, but it was hours and hours every day for three days. Mm. I mean, I, I just every time it would come, you know, I'd just start weeping again. And I didn't realize at the moment there was like a Nehemiah call, like there was some kind of 
thing where where God had given me a mandate. I, I didn't I didn't connect the dots there. I just knew something had to be done. I told my friend, we got to do something. He's like, you're crazy. And everybody I talked to told me I was crazy. They're like, why would this cartel army give you some of their kids? And, you know, and how in the world are you going to do this? And, and the Lord actually gave me a blueprint, said, here's how you do it. You start here, you do this, you do this. And we did. We followed the blueprint for years, years and years. I think uh, in eight years, okay, we, after, you know, following this blueprint out, we rescued one. I've, I felt about this big, <laughs> just let you know, you know, I was, I, I, it, it was actually an interesting moment because we were in a big transition. God was sending us back to the U S for that season of our lives. And I thought I was going on sabbatical. Now we had done a lot of things during that time. I've done a Bible translation. Uh, my, my granddad had translated the new Testament for one of these tribes in this, in this region, uh, it was uh, Thailand, Myanmar, Laos, Yunnan province, China region, where my family had worked for years. He had done a couple Bible translations, but this one had a New Testament. They didn't have an Old Testament. I got involved in the project reluctantly, and it, 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 was, a, it was a messy project. Like the, the guy who ran it for the beginning of the project I was in was like the chair of this, the board was a major drug trafficker. Who had assassinated 13 people that first year I, I jumped jumped into it. Wow. And so all the way through just mess challenge uh to the point when we actually started delivering our first Bibles. We did a big evangelistic campaign and 30 of our key leaders, pretty much all of our leaders at that point in time, got thrown in slave labor camp. So mm-hmm. again, another story, but it was it, so. I'm just saying. I had done a lot of other things uh, in that space. We had done a lot of successful work with kids at risk already. We just hadn't accessed these these child soldiers. And so it was about 2004 when I started to get these kind of like rumors, you could say, where the 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 government, the local government in this rogue state, this rogue region, was saying, "Hey, we we we're interested in giving some kids." Now, at that point, we already had teachers going into some of the military camps uh, that we had arranged where they would teach a couple of days a week. Uh, so the kids would come and, you know, for a few hours, they get to sit in school and learn reading and writing. And we weren't allowed to teach about God, but there were still ways to do it. Like, this is how you spell God. This is God. This is who God is. <laughs> so there's still ways to, to uh, expose kids. And we we did things like Christmas. We'd bring in food and clothes for the kids, uh, which was pretty controversial uh, because it's a rebel army that's funded by drugs. But these kids were dirt poor you know, and needed help. So, uh, so we had that we had built some significant bridges at that point, and there were there were a number of things that happen but I, so i'm going to i'm going to stop telling stories at the moment but just say uh our first breakthrough uh was that the army actually dropped 30 kids on the doorstep of a children's shelter we had that was very close to a military base that children's shelter was built for 30 kids so we we're at, already at full capacity but all these kids were following jesus that were in this home so they dropped another 30 kids on top of us. So almost we're, you know, just double capacity. All these kids had malaria 
Mm. Really sick. And I told my team, I said, hey, we're not ready for this. We don't have the money. We don't have the space. You got to return these kids to the army. And the army's message to us was, you've been asking for, for kids from, <laughs> you're going to take them. And that's, again, kind of the way my life has worked sometimes is like, you know, sometimes I'm just clueless, like when God's doing something. <laughs> there was one of those moments where I was like, we can't handle this. It's not time yet. And God's like, no, you can handle it. And it, it actually, you know, we were able to get some medicine in from another country to help these kids. None of them died. Um, they all met Jesus really quick because there was already like kind of a one-on-one -on -one exposure to a bunch of kids who already knew Jesus. So it was really kind of an easy moment for us. Some of our next moments when we took on more kids and big batches, like 80 kids at a time coming out of the military, those were pretty stressful because a lot of these kids are coming in with trauma. They like, imagine, okay, imagine like 40 or 50 kids wetting the bed at night and mm you don't have washing machines <laughs> you know? and you're already short staff. So just those kinds of just practical issues of trying to help kids, you know, survive and come to a place of peace. And it, it, the, the people I, I have worked with over the years, there's just some amazing people, but that was kind of, that was kind of the beginning. You, you have to be careful when I get going, I could just yeah. ramble. Yeah, well, the, the thing that I know is uh, the devil since the very beginning, he has been messing with identity. He he wants people to uh, not understand who they are in Christ. He wants them to question their identity, and you know that's what we're seeing right now in America. You know, it's it's identity uh, over and over and over. It is the bombardment of identity, and what we've seen in America, similar to those situations that you're talking about, is a, a fatherless generation. You know, either people that that didn't have a father in the home didn't have a father and a mother in the home. They're growing up. They're being, you know, uh, raised by screens. They're being raised by everybody but their parents. And so, you know, first of all, he's trying to take them out on the front end, you know, yeah. through abortion. And if he can't take them out on the front end, then maybe he can just remove the, the father from their life and then just continue to plant seeds of doubt about who they're called to be, things of that nature. So with these children over there, it's a similar situation. It's just different geography. And then the things that they're exposed to, uh, it's it's even more harsh than the kids that are exposed to stuff here. Uh, you know, it's just drugs, guns, uh, and, and all this stuff bombarding them at an early age. But God still loves those children. God still loves the children in America. God is still a, a loving father who wants people connected to him as sons and daughters and that is no different no matter where these children are. He wants to make them have daddy issues. He wants them to have issues of abandonment and, and that orphan spirit. And if he can get that promoted in their life bigger than anything else, then he can fuel anger and he can fuel bitterness and he can fuel all kinds of deceptions and, and lies that, that will continue to you know uh, just follow them forever until they are free of that orphan spirit and become sons and daughters. So when love comes in, fear has to leave. And so you're bringing in love into these situations and changing lives that way. But the enemy absolutely hates it. He wants to make sure that, that the fear and the control and all of those things are, are greater than any of the truth that you and your team are trying to speak to them. So it's, you know, uh, obviously, 
you're, you're dealing with opposition in the natural, but you're also dealing with opposition in the supernatural. And so as you start to move into these situations, uh, you, you are having breakthrough, but um, you know, the, the one situation that you shared one day on uh, one of our prayer calls was when those people that, that did get locked up in the slave camps, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they had already started to minister to some of these children and yeah. uh, explain that story about what happened when they finally got free, what the children themselves were saying. Yeah. Well, in that particular case, um, so this was, this was back to that, that story about uh, some of our, our leaders who ended up in slave labor camp. And when one of my particular uh, friends, he's an apostolic uh, man uh, was set free. He, he had to leave the gates because it was like a, 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 a fenced off area and he's walking out up to the main road, hiking up this muddy track. But as he's leaving the gates, these these child soldiers are throwing down their weapons and chasing after him. And they're and and you got to understand too that part of the story is that at night they would come to him and they would ask him, "How do we get free of this place?" Which is interesting when they're the ones who are guarding you. Mm. But you, you need to understand that a lot of these kids are forced into this position and they're shot if they run away. So, or discipline severely. So they're throwing their guns down as he's leaving and they're calling out, Father, Father, don't forget us. And they're chasing off after him. And, and that, that's, it's, it was just a heartbreaking moment where you, you realize that these kids are fatherless and they're, and they're desperate for a father. You know? mm-hmm. And one of my favorite little teachings that kind of connects on this is, is James one twenty seven, which most, most of us familiar with Bible know this verse. It's true and undefiled religion before God and the father is this to visit or to care for the orphans and the widow and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted or unstained by the world. And what's interesting to me is this, this couplets that's used the orphan and the widow is, is a very common theme or couplet throughout the scriptures. And when you look at it from an anthropological perspective, you have kind of two key revelations of God in the natural that, that tie in with this. You have the, the revelation of God we, we find through our parents. And when you, you know, kind of look at some of the, the stories of, of people who've gone through a lot of healing and, or need to, uh, or struggle with their image of God as father, you know, there's this, there's this big gap that happens for, for people who don't have a good image of their father, right? And they, or their, or even their mother, they, they, they like put these personas on God of God as a bad parent. And if you have healthy relationship with your parents, it just puts you light years ahead in your identity because mm-hmm. you don't have to get through all these kind of bumps, right? And so this revelation, this natural revelation we have of God through our parents is real. Like it's one of the th- ways God designed the world. Mm-hmm. And then another one that we have is, is the institution or the sacrament of marriage, where in that is this revelation of Jesus as the bridegroom. And, and the incredible love between a man and a woman is supposed to reflect something that Christ and the church have, you know, and, and this is one of the reasons I, I kind of 
see it as as a sacrament because it's something once you're married you say every day yes i do mm-hmm. and and you and it's an act of worshiping god by laying down your life for your spouse in love and it, it's a representation of jesus that's so amazing and we learn through that if we submit to that path we learn who jesus is and we learn his love so both of those are natural anthropological kinds of things that we have in society that teach us about who God is. But think about this, the orphan and the widow. These these are the two people groups who have been targeted specifically by the enemy in these spaces. Like the orphan is missing the the father and their mother, the image of God that they're learning as children. And the, the widow is missing her bridegroom. Mm-hmm. And she's had that torn away. And there's this, this gap in that 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 daily image that was given to her and so i think that's one of the reasons why this people group is so important to god these people groups these this couplet of of orphan and widow because there's a there's something there's a natural slash supernatural connection revelation and and that has been stolen by the enemy but we know what's been stolen has to be restored and manifold and so here's one of the amazing things when you go in and you work with these groups you're in that kind of like when you're in the will of god in those places you're in that kind of sevenfold restoration space and and you become a channel of the father's heart or you become a channel of of the bridegroom and and it's like the residue of heaven that's coming through you continues to hit your spirit and it it becomes this amazing encounter with God. So, so Jesus, you know, when he calls that little child to him with his disciples and he he says, if you minister to one of these, you minister to me Mm -hmm. and you don't just minister to me. He says, you even minister to my father. So he's catching both of those connections. He's saying you will connect to both me and to the father. It's such a powerful way of connecting to God. It, It, it really is. And, and so it's, it's, like all of Jesus' commands, Jesus' commands are always gifts to the church. He's just offering us a gift. We we tend to look at his commands as these heavy weights or responsibilities. It's like, no, I'm just, Jesus like, I'm just trying to give you something amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not a burden. Yeah, it, it's a burden depending on how you look at it, right? Yeah. It, I'm not saying it can't be hard, but even Jesus said, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So Hebrews 12, 2. It, we, there's a, there's, we can't do it outside of that, right? Outside of that incredible joy and life of heaven that is offered to us in these kinds of spaces. These, these are hard spaces. Yeah. Um, do we get traumatized by them? Absolutely. And we're just human beings, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something amazing that we get back in process a greater weight of glory that just keeps building. So I don't want to blow over it and just say, oh, it's nothing. No, I, I have a lot of friends who get traumatized. You know, you're in battle, you get stabbed and wounded, and we got to gather around them and lift up their arms and pray over them and help them, you know, pull back out. But on the other side, I'm, I'm, you know, of the coin, there's an incredible increase of glory and joy and peace all sorts of things that are being poured out on us for the journey that we're, we're saying yes to. So I don't want to say, oh, it's, it's nothing, but at the same time, it's way better than what you have without it. Way better. (laughs) Well, not just that, but you know, we, especially living here in the Southeast in America, 
Uh, you're, you're just outside of Nashville. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, and I'm using air quotes for those who, who will not be able to see this, but um, the, the whole mindset of comfortable Christianity and, you know, being relevant for today and, you know, adapting to meet the, the consumer that you're trying to reach. I mean, the reality is Jesus didn't say to do any of that. You know, he said to go out and disciple all nations. He said to go and heal the sick and cast out demons and raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, which is worse than COVID. I mean, he told us to go into the places where people were unreached and to bring him because there's nobody that he does not want to reach. It's go to the ends of the earth. And, you know, the the more desperate the situation the more he wants those people to at least have the option to say yes to him or, you know, he gives us free will. So people can continue. All right. I've heard what you have to say. I don't want it. Unfortunately, there, there is a spirit of the air that comes to kill, steal and destroy. And, you know, we're battling that in every situation. It, It is a spiritual war that is going on. Stay tuned. We'll have more Living Life on Purpose after we hear from one of our sponsors. Are you a business person that's hungry for more of the Holy Spirit at work? Partnering with God is what you were designed for. Experiencing God at work and being a blessing to the city that you live in is accessible to every believer. Hearing from God for your business and city shouldn't feel mysterious or inaccessible. Heaven and Business exists to give you access to the tools and training you need to equip you to grow with God in business and influence. Begin with our free trial and an online membership, then explore the events, community, and other resources. Check out heavenandbusiness.com today if this is what you're looking for, and I promise you won't be disappointed. And now, back to Living Life on Purpose with your host, Matt Wilson. There are a lot of, of Christians that would listen to this and say, well, that, that's great that you're going to, you know, all these far flung places all over the world. But, but what about the people here in America? Well, people here in America have options. They, they have churches on every corner. They have the ability to go and hear. They have freedom to worship if they want to for now. Anyway, you know, we don't have extreme persecution like people have. A, so the Lord wants to send people in who are willing to say yes, that are willing to say, you know what? It may cost me my life. It may cost me my family. It may cost me my resources. It may cost me everything, but living for Christ is better than dying here on earth and having nothing to show for it because either way, I'm going to stand before him one day. Yeah. And so, you know, I just so appreciate the fact that, that you're willing to lay it all on the line and go into these places and your team's willing to lay it all on the line. And you are going to see things that you can't unsee. You are going to do things that, man, I wish that that I hadn't, you know, had to, to experience that. But at the same time, you know, if he can work all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which we know is in his word, then we know that nothing that we're going to experience on this earth will be wasted in his kingdom. It may not look the way we want it to look. It may not feel the way we want it to feel, but nothing is wasted I was talking to my assistant earlier about this stuff. Like it was extreme tragedy that brought me into, you know, some of the places that I'm in today. It was extreme heartbreak that brought me into some of the relationships that I'm in today. It was extreme difficulty and trials that made me the person that I am today. I wouldn't change any of it. 
You know, do I, I wish that some of those things wouldn't have happened? Yes. But at the same time, if they hadn't, then would I be who I am? And I don't think the answer would be the same. So I think that that is really important. And so as you were, you know, sharing this stuff with people, I'm sure you get that question about your safety. I'm sure you get that question about like, why are you doing this? Things of that nature when, you know, there there are needs here and there are needs here. There There is no doubt. Like everybody that we look in the eyes of, God loves and he wants to reach. But, you know, he's also looking for people that will throw caution to the wind and say, Lord, I'm following you. I don't care what it looks like. I may look crazy to everybody else, but I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. And I'm going to go where you're asking me to go because that is his heart. So uh, what do you say in uh, some of those situations where maybe you get a little pushback or, you know, this, this sounds, this sounds a little, little dangerous. <laughs> well, okay. So on the, on the safety side of things, it's kind of a trite answer on some levels, but it's it's always safest to be where God sends you, right? And so for me, I think a lot of times when when I've been in more dangerous types of situations, I've just been clueless. It's like there's been just a bubble of peace around me. So it's not like I've had to worry about it too much. I think the, the biggest challenges are those times when I had to really wrestle through and say, okay, so if I die today, are my kids orphans? Those, you know, so thinking about my family was a much bigger deal. And I have a a great family history. You know, we're four generations deep in the mission space. So there are stories where, for example, the, the King in the, in one of this regions, those regions that they were, my family was working in, in Myanmar, which back in the day was called Burma was offering a pony load of silver for anybody who could come up with white man's head. Mm-hmm. So that's like winning a big lottery, you know? So all these bandit gangs are out there chasing them down. And there's story after story. Like there's one particular story about this, this bandit who was pretty notorious and he would camp out at ambush places and and wait and come in to take my granddad and his his guys out as they were traveling around uh, doing it. They were kind of traveling from village to village, uh, visiting churches, planting churches. And this is remote, very, very challenging areas. But when they would creep in at night, there were all these men in white that would pop up with flaming swords. and. So this went on for like a year and a half, okay? And finally, this guy writes my granddad a letter and says like, hey, I give up. I don't know <laughs> who's on your team, but I'd like to join you because I've been trying and I can't, I can't, you know, I can't take you out. So I have these, this history that I just tapped into. I mean, I had some serious moments of prayer and said, God, I just need this. You know, until it's my time to go, I just need this. I need to step into this history that that my family has in your protection. And it wouldn't be bad to die as a martyr. I'm not like I'm not chasing it, but you know, I'd rather die as of a martyr than die of cancer, you know, for sure. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd be glad to die of old age and just at my moment go up to heaven. But to me, those things don't matter. It's just that I want to be able to obey God and we know from the stories of guys like Paul, I mean, that guy got thrashed a few times in his life. 
and then was miraculously healed. I've always said to God, I'd, I'd prefer not to have to go through torture. <laughs> that, that would just be rough. <laughs> so, but, but I'm just saying there is a trust and there is a naivety on certain level that I think is actually helpful because if you know too much, then you freak out. And so it's better sometimes just to be naive and do what you're called to do. At the same time, I do try to pay attention to the local people, especially my core team and people I have a history with. And if, if they're saying, Marcus, don't do this, then I'm going to listen to them unless I have a really clear direction from the Holy Spirit. And then at that point, I'm like, hey, we've got to break some rules here. But I don't pull that card unless God's really telling me to. When it comes to like trying to talk to people about, okay, we've got all these massive problems over on the other side of the world, some distant remote jungle that you've never heard of, right? Kids you'll never see in your life. I understand it's tough. You know, it's being disconnected. We're, we're wired to respond to the people that we see and those around us. And, and so there is a bit of a skill you have to develop, I think, to be able to care for people you're not connected to directly. But I think that the Holy Spirit can help us in this. Like when Paul is, I can't remember where the scripture is specifically, but when he was collecting the offering, I, th I think one of the scriptures in, is, is in uh, 2 Corinthians, maybe, if I recall right. But when he was correct, collecting the offering for Jerusalem, he, he makes a statement. He says that, you know, in giving this, this gift, uh, it actually becomes koinonia with the poor. It actually becomes fellowship with the poor. And so I, I, I really do see that the Holy Spirit has the ability to connect us to people all across the world that we've never met, never seen, because there is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection that can happen. I mean, God's connected to all those people, and we're connected to God, so why can't he connect the dots? So I think on one level, if we're willing, God will help us. Yeah. But... I do understand. I mean, I've, I've, I'm careful about the stories I tell because I kind of see people glaze over <laughs> because they just can't handle the, the kinds of things that I have to share. Um, I've struggled many times in re-entry uh, when I'm like, you guys, please wake up, <laughs> you know, and I've been mad at the church plenty of times and uh, had to learn that being angry at people wasn't all that helpful. Uh, that love was really the thing that was going to change people's hearts. So I, I, I've been through my journeys of figuring out how to do this and how to rhythm when I'm really exposed to things other people aren't. And I do agree, America has massive issues. This, you know, this rising generation, it's terrifying, frankly. A lot of the things that that we're facing. But we are a global world. And if I'm working in terrorist-ridden areas and keeping kids out of these spaces, and statistically, like the kids who are going to become terrorists are the fatherless. They're the ones who are orphaned and raised in these spaces. So if we ignore them, they're going to be the terrorists that come after us one day, potentially. Like I'm just saying, we're stopping a lot of trauma that could impact the world over. So I don't think it's wise to say one or the other. I think it's, it has to be a both end. 
We have to care about what's going on at home, wherever that is for us. We have to care about what's going on in our nation, but we have to care about God's world because it's his world and he cares immensely about the entire population, global population of the world. There's there's not a single person that's not in his sight. Like, like I had this really, sorry if I'm talking too long, but I had this really great insight the other day where I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. Have you ever lost a pet, like a pet went missing, a family pet, mm-hmm. and you just freaked out and stressed? Maybe it's because your wife or your kids, or maybe you're an animal lover, but it just, you know, it was hard to sleep, right? You just felt in turmoil. Well, what about a lost child? Have you ever had a child who ran away from home? What about the feeling that a lot of us parents have had somewhere like a grocery store or a mall when our kid went missing? You remember that moment of terror and panic? Okay, so think about like Luke 15 and Jesus telling the parable of the lost sheep. And he's like, there's 99 sheep and I've got to go rescue the one, right? The shepherd, this good shepherd goes out to rescue the missing sheep. And sin is one of those things that creates missing family members. And I believe, you guys, that God's heart is something like this. It's like he's feeling like that missing kid in, in, in the grocery store. How can he not leave the 99 and go out and rescue? It, it's tearing up his heart. He's, did you know that the, the name of Jesus means rescuer? <laughs> it mm-hmm. defines who he is. So I don't know. There's just something there. I, I, I don't think we can say it's not important because Jesus would be rescuing. That's his heart. Yes, absolutely. Well, Marcus, thank you for all that you're doing and all that you've already done, all that you're going to continue to do. So as somebody's listening and they're they're wanting to find out more about Infire, they're wanting to find out more about you, uh, they want to get involved, they want to give, what, what are the best ways for them to get connected with you guys? In-fire.org is the easiest place to get to our website. In-fire.org easy ways to engage with us, you know, whether you want to write us a note or donate or figure out more about what we're doing. If you dig around on that, on our site, you're going to find a page about some of our work in loving enemies, which is another thing we really work on a lot. And I think is really a fantastic opportunity for the American church too to learn how to, to do this. It's, it's really a necessary moment in our, in our uh, cultural history. for the church to be a bright light in receiving the gift that Jesus offers us and our enemies. And so I I have a book on Amazon as well. If you just uh, look uh, up, love your enemy, Marcus Young or Marcus J. Young, uh, it should pop pop up. And it's just a short 30-day guide to help us figure out how to go on that journey and make it as easy as possible to, to make that transition to being somebody who's radical in our faith of chasing our enemies for 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 love's sake well i definitely appreciate you being here today and i know that this has been impactful for me and for our listeners if this has impacted you we hope that you will share this with somebody who needs encouragement they need to know that there's good that is going on in the world and follow us on facebook on living life on purpose and then on instagram living life on purpose always we appreciate you guys listening we'll catch you again in two weeks